You're listening to the Comms Risk Podcast. Hello, my name is Eric Prieskowns, and this is episode 23 of the Comms Risk Podcast. Joining me from the USA is my co-host, Dan Baker. Dan is the founder of the Technology Research Institute, and he is also the editor of the Black Swan Journal. Dan, today our guest is Shankar Palaniandi, CEO and founder of FRS Labs, a fraud system vendor based in Bangalore, India. Shankar is going to tell us about Orpheus, a fraud management system that FRS Labs has patented, and which they believe works in ways that boast significant advantages compared to other off-the-shelf fraud management systems. But FRS Labs is a pretty small business compared to the market leaders in fraud management. Dan, can you tell us what drew your attention to Shankar and to FRS Labs and why you profiled them in Black Swan Journal? Sure, Eric. A few months ago, I was getting set to do interviews for the research report we just published on fraud management solutions. And I contacted consultant uh, Colin Yates and asked him what vendors I should be sure to contact for the report. And he immediately mentioned Shankar at FRS Labs, a company who I was not really familiar with at the time. So I contacted Shankar and we got into a rolling discussion uh, on the phone. And this led to the black story, uh, the Black Swan story that you just talked about. Now his company, FRS Labs, uh, though it's a small boutique software shop, is well connected with the Vodafone group. And he has done both custom work for them as well as sold off-the-shelf solutions to several operators in the Vodafone group. In fact, his company got his first contract, first major contract from Vodafone. At the time, uh, Colin Yates was heading up the group's uh, fraud practice. And the proof of concepts that he did led to their first sale at Vodafone uh, Ireland. So I guess the first thing you ask yourself is, how does this unknown computer engineer from Bangalore swing a deal with the biggest mobile group in the world? And that brings you to Shankar's interesting career. I mean, he worked at a number of technology firms, and he's also spent a decade in the UK and a year at Boeing in Seattle, of all places, before deciding to launch FRS Labs back there in India. And I think as you listen to Shankar, you, you begin to see why he's been successful. He has some intriguing ideas about the future of fraud management and his firm, FRS Labs, has its fingers in the pie of a lot of cool stuff, advanced credit application monitoring, uh, behavioral learning, and even voice biometrics. Dan, he certainly sounds like a very interesting character, and uh, I really was uh, had a lot of uh, interest and excitement uh, looking forward to this interview, and I have to say Shankar didn't disappoint. Um, so let's not waste any more time. Let's go straight into the interview. Okay, Shankar, um, one of the things that distinguishes your approach to FMS is this notion of uh, moving to a more behavioral learning Traditionally, um, FMS systems have been based on series of rules. And I wonder if you could give us a, a feel for what that's all about. What is the difference? Why do we need to go to behavioral systems and what is it all about? Okay. Um, I think there are two really important points here. Um, the traditional rules-based systems, um, they use a technique called unusual usage. So uh, just to illustrate, so... Uh, Eric, if you just travel to Cuba tomorrow, there's a, you have a friend there, maybe uh, there's an emergency, 
and um, you know you make a few calls uh, to reschedule. Maybe you had appointments that you you cannot take, and that it, there's no net connections, and it, the phone is the only way that you could actually communicate. So you make a few calls um, to reschedule with your, with your customers. So maybe one of them is, is is myself. I'm sitting here in India. You make a call, and you make a, a series of calls, and suddenly the system detects um, an, an unusual pattern here. So it says that Eric is usually, um, uh, you know, makes phone calls in the U.S. You know, he suddenly traveled to Cuba and he started making international calls. And that's completely normal for a legitimate customer. But it, the software would detect and maybe put in um, an additional mechanism to stop making international calls further, or maybe even um, disrupt your service for a, for a little while before it uh, comes back to norma normality. Um, so that's that's sort of the um, the, the, the the usual rules-based system um, does, and, and and of course, you know, one of the, one of the analysts will have to go in and write those rules in the first place to say that you know if if someone exceeds a certain number of calls uh, from a certain number of destination to another destination and raise an alarm, so on and so forth. So that's an upfront work uh, work to be done there. But in a in a behavioral approach like like Orpheus that we, we're doing. Um, you know, it just works out of the box. So you don't really have to write any rules. The way it works is um, it, it picks up a, a confirmed fraudster, and then it builds a profile of that fraudster. So the um, we, we call it fingerprint, but essentially what it what it is is the, um, the the calls that you make, the calls that you receive, the, um, the, uh, the, the 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 normal location that you call from. Um, so that sort of stuff. So I don't want to. Well, too, too much into the, the secret stuff, um, but it builds a fingerprint of a of, of Eric or Dan or Shankar, and then it stores that in the database, and then it looks every day, uh, you know, every hour, you know, however you want to run this, it looks for a similar profile uh, from new subscribers or existing subscribers in your database, and then if it identifies someone, who, you know, who has a very similar profile, then only then it'll just bring them up as uh, as a suspect. Now, just taking just look, taking the illustration that you, that I just gave now. Um, so, if you if you are an um, an, uh, an offender and if you've gone to Cuba and made similar calls, and if you're doing it again, and only then Orpheus will actually say he's a suspect. But if you're doing it for the first time and you know you're you're just a legitimate customer, then it wouldn't bring them up as sus suspect. But in a rules-based system, it would just throw up as an alarm. Um, so, I'll just come back to. I'll just do one more point um, with the rules-based system. Is it'll, it'll bring individual alarms. So if someone has exceeded a, a threshold, it just comes back as an alarm. But in Orpheus, in, in behavioral profiling, we're looking at a network of um, uh, calls, events, patterns. Um, so, uh, for example, Shankar might actually um, not come up as a suspect, but Shankar's friend might actually uh, come up as a suspect. But Shankar will also be linked to that uh, particular guy. So the analyst can actually look at the bigger picture of you know, all those people who are associated with this particular, um, particular individual that we're looking at. But it's also bringing up all the other things, like uh, the same person has used the same handset um, as the person that we're reviewing now, um, and, and that sort of stuff. So it, it brings um, the bigger picture of you know, who's, who's actually interlinked to that particular suspect. Um, so the, the drawback of rules-based system is that you know uh, it, it might actually generate a thousand alarms a day, mm -hmm. 
Mm. And I can categorically say, you know, 90% of all those alarms will be legitimate alarms. So, so nine so out of... Mr. Yeah. Shanker, you're, you're contrasting what the Orpheus FMS does to a rules-based system. Uh, a, mm-hmm. a, few, a few questions come to mind here. Firstly, is what the Orpheus FMS system does, would that be typically called a neural network? And going into the learning, how the learning takes place for the intelligence in your FMS, is it mm-hmm. a case that the customer teaches the system some examples of good customers and bad customers in the beginning, gives examples to the system it's dependent to build on? Is it the case that the system is as it were, identifying good and bad for itself, but then going to a human being to then validate it. So an Mm -hmm. exception arises and a human being says, no, that's fine. Oh, yes, actually, this is suspicious, and then gives it feedback. Or is there any potential for the Orpheus system to just, in an unsupervised way, learn about the properties of customers? So can you give me some flavor of of more detail on how the system works? It's more, it's more supervised. So initially, you have, you'll have to feed in um, a set of confirmed fraudsters. And then the system will actually build the profiles of those confirmed fraudsters. It's not per se neural networks because we don't train the system um, initially. Right. Um, all, we, all we do is just feed um, um, a list of confirmed frauds um, that are known, known to us from you know, previous systems or through customer complaints. You'll obviously have a list of confirmed fraudsters anyway in your system. Um, even, even without an FMS system, you could actually detect fraud. Um, when a customer complains with a build shock, you, know, you, detect, you, you sort of go through the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the invoice not paid or if the account has been hijacked. And, and you'll have a list of confirmed frauds anyway. So you feed that confirm, a list of confirmed frauds into Orpheus, and Orpheus will start building the profile uh, profiles for those confirmed fraudsters, and then it will actually start um, picking out new suspects. But when the customers review them, uh, so this is where the, the additional learning happens. When customers review them, and when they mark them as um, say, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good suspect, but I, I you know he's been paying his bills okay. I don't I probably don't want to monitor him again. Then he would just push him into a separate bucket. Right saying uh, no fraud, and the system would actually start learning. So if a similar profile comes back again, you know, he's been you know, paid his invoice for six months and he's, uh, he's been in the system for like six months and there's no major changes to his accounts, no SIM swaps has happened, um, but he's actually behaving very similar to another, another fraudster. So maybe it would just um, lower the, uh, the risk score. The, the users can see them if they want to, but it would just lower the the risk the risk score, so it, it goes on learning learning along that way. So there's, so there's human supervision taking place, but the system That's is right. also gathering information. Now, you you Orpheus is in use by several Vodafone operating companies. Without giving away too much commercially sensitive detail, can you just give us a sense of what kinds of data? is being fed into Orpheus in those companies. So what is the analysis of? Is it just call patterns? What, what, what is what is what okay. data is being gathered? So initially, there's uh, three sets of data that, that we that normally look for when we do the deployment. So one is obviously the um, the call data records, CDRs, um, you know, whether it's internal, domestic, international, roaming, whatever. Everything can come in. 
and the next set of data is subscriber data. So, um, you know, subscriber name, address. So it's, it's a new module that we've added recently, but until a year ago, we were not, we were just using very basic subscriber information, but we're now like looking at the full spectrum of, um, um, you know, which state it belongs to and more de demographic information is, is 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 input now in 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 the um, the new newer version of Orpheus. I'll, I'll tell you why we're doing that. And the third uh, piece of information that we're looking for is the list of confirmed frauds for the system to initially build the profiles. And uh, it can function in um, in many different ways. So it can function in real time. So like in Vodafone India, it's like it's it's sort of near real time if you like. Uh, but in Vodafone Island, you know, it runs once a day. Um, and it look it plugs um, into a data warehouse, but in Vodafone India, you know, we're pulling the data real time from the mediation um, in, into the Orpheus database, and then does everything the same as for Vodafone Qatar as well, near real time. It's data. The, the very different scale of mm. business that you're talking about there, uh, and yet you're saying that the the system can scale up or down seemingly. I, 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 it's, un, it's unusual to hear about uh, a provider of software of this type that um, mm, mm. is so relaxed as you're sounding yeah, yeah. right now. Uh, about, exactly. Oh, yeah, India, it's big, and, you know, <laughs> Qatar is small. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's usually not a, that's not usually the sort of thing businesses, software businesses yeah. do because, you know, how do you do this cost-effectively and yet scale up? So, so tell us, how do you do this cost-effectively and still can scale up so, <laughs> to such well, a large be, scale? Exactly. The, the simple rule that we followed is um, we'll give what the customers want initially and just not worry about money uh, coming in. So we priced it um, really low. Even though it's a very high-quality product, we priced it really low. And, and it's, that's just one piece of um, number when we raise the invoice. You know, that's like, uh, if you look at another invoice from, uh, from a, a fellow competitor, that would be like, uh, base price, you know, the additional price for um, uh, another system, additional price for a development system, additional price for test system, production system. Um, that's, you can only use so, so much of data uh, in, a, in, a, in a single license. You can only use so, so many processes uh, and all sorts of restrictions. But we just removed all of that um, and we just said, you could you could scale up or down uh, and it's, the price will remain the same. You could put it into any number of servers, of course, it has to be a single entity. So if it is Vodafone India, and it's just Vodafone India. You can't actually um, host Vodafone India, or Italy, Ireland, everything into Vodafone India and, and, and charge the same price. It wouldn't work out. Um, uh, it wouldn't be sustainable for us. So so we we, made, we really made it simple for the customer to understand that it's um, it's a very simple piece of software that can scale up or down. Um, we're profitable because we're based in India. The headcounts are low. We don't actually have to expand rapidly, um, and, and 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 the software itself is very robust. So we don't actually do a, a generally acceptable release like our competitors do. So any release that they fix a date on, it just goes out and that's it. And when customer complaints come out, then they'll start putting the fixes in. But we don't do that. We release when it's um, extremely and robust, um, and then we do a release, so the, the amount of um, support calls that we receive is very minimal, so we can spend more time on you know, additional releases and new, focus on new customers. Um, you know, one, well. of, one of the things I'm, I'm hearing from you, Shankar, is that um, I, it, it confirms this notion of we're moving into this new world of software development enabled by 
big data, you know, low cost machines, um, mm. highly capable software that's able to, um, uh, you know, do things like in the cloud and, you know, um, in taking away the whole barrier of the IT department being kind of a, um, a political animal that you can, can't get past. Um, here mm. you are a small, very small company and you're able to work with a large company like Vodafone. And, you know, it's, there's none of this question of, oh, he, he needs to be the size of an IBM. <laughs> that, that's that's gone and uh, i think it's a, it's an incredible um move forward for the industry as a whole and i was captivated you mentioned social network you know basically um i, I need to qualify that term because a lot of people get that term confused the social network is really about you know analyzing who's in contact with who and who's who has relationships with who it's totally different from social media you know which is the facebook's and so forth um, but that notion, I think, is very new to the FMS environment of having uh, this social networking capability to look out, not just at what is this customer doing, but what is he doing in relationship to other people and how could that all be connected? And I wanted to hear a little bit more about that and how you're using that in fraud applications. Mm -hmm. Sure. So um, uh, a simple thing is, um, uh, the simple idea behind Orpheus is um, if a uh, uh, the, uh, if you have a known fraudster, um, and if you have a close set of associates, then the, the associates themselves are fraudulent. Um, so why would a fraudster actually, um, you know, behave nicely? You know, he would just want to behave the way he behaves as, as always. Um, so initially, what, what we were looking at, uh, what all the FMS um, systems were looking at was, you know, okay, if one fraudster exceeds a threshold, we'll just bring him up. Bring him up. But we looked at it saying, okay, if this fraudster has uh, a pattern, and if all these people have a similar pattern, why not show them all together rather than showing them individually? So that's the first idea. And the second thing is, there's, a, there's also, a, there's not just a, um, a soft uh, touch, if you like. You know, there's, there's two people have actually made the same call to, say, Latvia, that no one else in the network has actually made a call in the last 10 days. It's just a soft link, but there's also a hard link that they're making calls from um, the same cell site, they're using the same IMEI, and they're also sharing the same address. Um, so the reason why I told you that the, um, we're now looking at the full spectrum of um, subscriber details or names, addresses, and the rest of it is that we're building up a profile of everything that we, that, that we, that we can get our hands on. So. Um, uh, even before we could, they could actually make a single call, we could actually show two people are connected together because they share the same contact number. So that's quite unusual because, um, uh, unless, uh, and, and uh, of, of course, you know, our software makes a few decisions saying, you know, are they husband and wife sharing the same home telephone number, or are they, uh, you know, father and uh, son sharing the same telephone number? Um, but these are people living in two opposite sides of a city. Mm. Uh, with different addresses, but sharing the same contact number. You know, that's a little unusual. So, um, so even before someone could make a phone call, you know, we sort of build all these profiles up, and, and the very next day, when when the analysts come and click on the suspects, that you know, they'd be excited to see that. Yeah, they've not made a single call, but you know, I can see you know they're already fraudsters because we barred the guy uh, living in this address sharing the same contact number, and I'm just going to put some restrictions on this guy. Um, who's just come on board now. So they're, they're, they're taking mm. action straight away. So uh, for, for a normal rules-based system, it could actually take maybe five, 10 days before a rule is, uh, a threshold is exceeded. 
Um, but in this case, you know, it's, it's, it's in instant gratification because you're actually seeing um, the social network links built up very quickly uh, and they're able to analyze even before a single call is made. Interesting, very interesting. Yeah. You've, you've, you, you're, you're painting a great picture of uh, the software that you provide mm -hmm. to suppliers, mm -hmm. uh, to mm -hmm. network providers. Let's be honest, um, when you're running a small business like you're running and you're going in and you're competing with much larger businesses, with much larger development teams, mm -hmm. there will be some questions asked about how could you be providing something better than your mm -hmm. rivals? They have large development teams, you only have only a small development team. You're, mm -hmm. you're offering something that sounds very sophisticated and maybe they don't offer the same mm -hmm. functionality. It's going to mm -hmm. raise questions. And obviously you've got... You know, you're an intelligent guy, you're coming across very well, uh, you're very personable, and you have a very good CV. But what, what is the secret? Come on, to, explain <laughs> to me. Explain to me like I was a customer. How, okay. how is this guy with, is it, I don't know, 10, 10 employees in India? How is this guy in India with 10 employees <laughs> seemingly kicking the pants of, <laughs> of bigger, yeah. much more established, much more heavily financed, VC-backed, you know, stock market listed firms <laughs> that also offer FMS. What, explain, explain. How, do you, how did you do it? How did you do it? Uh, I think it's tough. We are punching above um, our weight, but uh, I think the, uh, the simple answer is that there's no magic here. It takes a long time for us to make a sale. So, for example, Word of India, we started the discussion in 2011. It was an easy. They um, they already have a a very good, very market leading product um, that you know fifty fifty of their analysts are using. So uh, when we pitched this in, you know it was um, it was just very difficult to even just get through the the, the initial stages. Um, so the, the after about six to twelve months, they said, okay, we'll we'll do a pilot, and we agreed to do that free of charge. So we asked for data for, for weeks data. So just pulled them up, it was just over a terabyte. So we put that in a disk, brought it to our um, office here. Um, we put it up and we ran our software and then the results were just stunning. So uh, we built up a picture and we took it back to Vodafone saying, had you used Orpheus um, you know, during the time for the period that, of the data that you gave us, you could have detected like 163 more frauds to that. The numbers, you know, I'm just playing with the numbers here, but uh, it's it's close it's close enough. Um, so they let's say they detected around 500 of them. So what we were suggesting is that you detected 500 using an existing uh, system. Had you used Orpheus during this period for which the um, the pilot data was given to us, you could have detected 163 more uh, fraudsters um, because they were subsequently confirmed as fraudster in in their existing system as well. But they could have actually detected sooner. Using Orpheus, so that was the that was a that got their attention. That was really the point where they realized, okay, you know, it it, it you know it, it is actually showing results, you know, using their own data. And then they said, okay, so let's move on to the next step of um, getting us as a supplier and you know all that process. So it went through for a year. Um, so it wasn't easy. So we had you know do all the things that uh, any big supplier would do. We had to sort of meet all the. Uh, uh, policies and, and all the other uh, the rest of it, and we had to work with IBM. So IBM is the um, the IT partner uh, for Vodafone. So they came on board. They were quite big. Um, you know, they were charging three times the uh, the amount that we were charging, maybe even more. Uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but 
Um, so we had to work with them. So there, there, was, there was only one, one option for us. You know, we could fight with them or um, not be personable. And uh, we had situations where you know, we, I was really going mad with them. But there was a, there was a, there was a simple option there. You know, we could just walk away and, 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 and you know, not talk to Vodafone India ever after that. Or just, you know, just bear the brunt, just take it in our shoulders, learn every day, move forward. The ultimate objective is to just get all of you in at some day, and soon they'll start realizing the, the benefits. And after a year, maybe after like, it took three years from the day when I just first, first presented Orpheus to the day when it actually went live. It was a big relief for um, the entire team here because we just worked so hard. So it wasn't easy, so there was no, there was no secret magic to that. But the thing was, mm -hmm. you know, as soon as it launched in like two or three months, the amount of frauds they're actually capturing through Orpheus is just, it's just unbelievable. Um, what is um, it? I mean, is it just the, the alternative FMS off-the-shelf software that people can go out and buy? Is it, is it simply comes down to the fact that because they're rules-based, it's mm -hmm. just less efficient? Is that what you're telling us? Exactly. See, the voice, um, see, the rules depend on, like, voice and SMS predominantly. You know, that's, the, the, that's how the FMS systems were built up. You don't really need an FMS. If you look at the rules that you put in, like, you know, someone has exceeded, like, five calls. It's a, it's a, I would actually say, I would go, go far to say it's a glorious form of an Excel sheet. Um, that's all it does. Uh, and they're charging a million dollars for it. They were actually charging a million dollars for that. Uh, at the time, if it's poorly, poorly designed. It's just too many controls, too many menus to to work, and everyone has to be trained. You know, the training book book is like, like runs into like two or three volumes. So if you want to do even a simple thing, you have to go back and learn or get trained. And the training wasn't cheap either. And the training wasn't free, and it wasn't cheap either. So if you were to get trained in an HP system, for example, it would cost you bucks. And it would cost you a lot of money. Um, and the second thing is, um, all it does is, uh, all, it, all, it, all the rules, rules is doing, you could actually fire up queries in your data warehouse and you can, you can get those results uh, as reports. Um, so I think, I, think, I think they haven't changed the mindset. Um, obviously, you know, they're providing new things like you know, workflows and that, that is value. You know, I'm not belittling the, um, um, the amount of effort that has gone into all these FMS systems and the value they're providing. It's certainly you know, providing great value to, to many, many customers who, who, who are using it right. But most of them um, are sort of um, not using it to the fullest extent. Um, how do I actually, <clears throat> how do I actually, um, probably an example is uh, maybe you buy a car with like 10 gears and like yeah. you know, so many uh, gizmos and bells and whistles, but you only use like, you know, two gears at topmost because yeah. you can't you can't go any further. <laughs> so, so really, what it's about is about the people using the system as well as the system and the rules based system. There's exactly. A lot more exactly. Emphasis exactly. on the people than in exactly. your system, where yep. the autom you know the automation is doing a lot of the learning and yeah. the human interaction. There is human interaction. There's supervision. There's yeah. You know, somebody, and so there's still the ability to propose supervision, but at the same time, you're reducing the burden. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, if you look at, um, I've, I've been, uh, I had the privilege to work with many fraud analysts in, in all these great companies. If you if you sit with them for for an entire day, um, I think most most 
vendors sort of fail to do that in, uh, to, to an extent. Um, when you sit with them, they take so many different things. You know, they're sort of multitasking all the time. There's just so many different emails hitting them. There's so many different customer calls, customer services agents, you know, inquiring them. There's just so many different spheres to a fraud analyst. They're just not sitting in front of a computer doing simple things. And every morning when they come in, all they want to see is a list of suspects, and then the good quality suspects, they want to just knock them off um, so that you know, it doesn't actually affect the network, they don't lose a lot of money, and it doesn't actually uh, affect the experience of good customers. Um, so that's all they want to do. They don't want to come in in the morning and say, hmm, what, what rules can I write today? Or what rule can I change today? Or what rule should I tweak today so I can get better results? They don't do that anymore. They don't want to do that. In fact, you know, that's, that's, probably, uh, that's, that's probably the truth. They moved into an era where the costs um, for these departments are so low, so it's manned by like two or three people, and they're very ex experienced people. They've been uh, in, 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 in the companies for like 10, 15 years, and they're doing so many different things. And the last thing they want, they do, they want to do is just come in and uh, think about tweaking the rule so they could get you know, new suspects. They don't want to do that. They want the system to do it for them in an efficient, simple, easy way so they can come in, reliably look at these um, uh, you know, alerts and say, uh-huh, yep, I've, I've sort of reviewed 10 cases. I've sort of barred five of them. You know, that's good. Now, I, I get the impression, you know, speaking to you, I'm really enjoying listening to what you're saying because I get the really impression that you're a guy who actually has spent the time, you know, you worked at APMG, you worked at Detica, sitting mm -hmm. with those people, seeing what they're doing, and you want to make their life easier and improve their ability to do their job. You know, you're not just some guy who's a CEO of a business. And I know this, you know, it's no criticism, but if you're the CEO of a, you know, a big business with hundreds of employees and you've got venture capital funds to keep happy, you're not really spending a lot of time sitting down with fraud analysts working out how to make their product better you know you're, you've got other things that you need to be doing whereas you're a guy who is sounds like you enjoy doing that kind of thing which leads me to right. ask the question why did you set up a company <laughs> why, why do you want all those additional headaches of running your own business is it just because you couldn't see it done is it not being done well enough elsewhere what what motivated you i think the motivation came from um, it, it, all these companies are providing all these software, um, which is very expensive, and it wasn't very user-friendly. So I think that was the motivation, really, saying we could provide something um, at a reasonably good price um, and extremely easy to use. Um, I think when we presented this to the IT guys in Vodafone, India, they were just shocked. They were just repeatedly asking me, saying, you know, where are the rules? You know, where do I go write the rules? Where do I go write the rules? And I said... There are no rules. <laughs> they, they, just, they just didn't believe it. They just, they just couldn't believe saying, no, it can't be an FMS system. <laughs> where are the rules? You know, where do I go tweak the rules? And where do I go write the rules? So, um, so, you should have given them oh, a dummy pad somewhere just to keep them happy. Just let exactly. them write some rules. got nothing to do with what the system does. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I told them, seeing, uh, I think the old good old days of you know, engaging IT, and I think you, you just said... Uh, it's just a monster um, just sitting there, just disrupting everything. Uh, and they're making it more difficult for users. So I think, as Dan was saying, you know, I think in the future, everything will just go move away to like cloud and big data and, um, and, and sort of that, that sort of capability. We haven't, mm. we haven't used that now, um, but, but we're facing that sort of difficulty. So the motivation then was saying, okay, 
we built something really simple that, that could sort of scale up and down very easily, um, that could fit into an existing data, da database or just very easily um, get into a database um, and, and uh, sort of plug on top, top of near real-time data and start functioning straight away very quickly. Um, second thing was I, I wanted to do something. I, wanted, I was so desperate to create this because it was just, um, I, was, uh, I was sort of doing it um, initially and then it sort of stuck uh, within Vodafone, um, and I, it needed some funding. Needed some someone to just take it out, you know, think, um, think creatively, and and build something, uh, something out of it. So, um, at the time, it was just an engine that we picked up from Vodafone, and then we built a really nice car that was easy to drive. It was that was just a pleasure to drive. Uh, but but then we just expanded the engine now. So the Vodafone component in that engine is just a very small piston, if you'd like. Um, because the engine itself has just grown in the last five years. Uh, running running a business itself, I'm not. Um, I'm enjoying it, but the uh, the admin the administration side, you know, visiting government offices, standing in the queue. I'm a CEO, but I do all these things. <laughs> uh, uh, so when I run, when I go to these government offices and I submit a document, they'll say, uh, and they'll say. Oh, I can't accept this document. Can you bring your CEO or your managing director or someone else? I am the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you want me to? Uh, you know, you can ask me anything, and I'll respond uh, from a com company perspective. So, they don't, they don't, they don't look at me and see, uh, you know, see, you know, see myself as a CEO. And most of the most of the time, I don't have a cabin. You know, I sit amongst uh, the rest of the engineers um and and do stuff what they're doing i do a lot of design test uh, i don't get to program these days but i do um i do a lot of design work and i do a lot of um use, usability testing um if it if it's difficult for me uh, then i the, it, it would be 10 times difficult for an analyst so it goes goes back to the engineer again for like redesign and you know redo the whole thing um we only we we, we bring it out at, to a stage for saying okay yeah that makes sense it's easy to understand. I know there's still a little bit, uh, you know, complex bits. You know, there's like over 100 users are using it. And some of them say it's a little bit difficult for me to understand. We get that, and we, we sort of try to improve, um, in, in, you know, in, in subsequent releases. But majority of them are sort of enjoy, enjoying, um, you know, using it. So which is which is good good, good for us. You know, the other big question that comes to mind with with you being a small business is that. You may have a fantastic product, but how do you let people know about it? Obviously, you're on this podcast today, and you've spoken to Dan in the past, but uh, is it quite a struggle, therefore, to compete in terms of the marketing side of things? I mean, yes. I mean, how do you, I mean, it's harder, I mentioned, for a small business just to find out about what opportunities are available in telcos yeah. and when you can pitch. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's extremely hard. In fact, we're suffering. We're bleeding <laughs> uh, because we don't have a marketing team. We don't have a sales engine. Um, you know, we don't have a team that can go ensure products. I think it goes back to 2011, 12. Um, I think we were discussing with a customer in Spain. I think it was Vodafone Spain. I can't remember. Um, they said, you know, can you come back? We could we could arrange, and you know, you could do a presentation. I said, "Oops, no! We could do a, a WebEx, or <laughs> I can't just I can't just uh, you know you know book a flight all the way to Spain and then do a presentation um, because it doesn't make you know economic sense." Well, that's um, what you did very well to sell anything in Qatar, <laughs> by the way, because well, you can't sell anything in Qatar without <laughs> flying out, you know, for ten <laughs> separate meetings. So I don't know how you managed to sell anything in Qatar. You did brilliantly so, there. Okay. 
So all of our sales are through word of mouth uh, and building partnerships um, with other vendors. Um, so that's um, a good example is um, the, the partnership that we have with Colin. Um, so we have a yeah, Colin Yates. So we have a financial arrangement with other products. We also have a, a joint venture um, on the Prism product. So um, he's a veteran. So there isn't anyone um, on this planet. Uh, who does know Colin in the telecoms fraud department. So he's very popular. And he recommends um, this product very highly within Vodafone and you know, other companies that, 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 that he's visiting. So that's giving us the, uh, the traction, uh, sort of the, the foot in the door, so, so we can just present the product to them, so we could um, you know, give them more information on you know, what Orpheus is. And then... And then it's just a waiting game, really. So we just wait and see uh, what happens after that. So the things that we uh, that we done about two or three years ago, we'd be doing the deployments now. The things that we're doing now is maybe it will shorten the sales cycle. Maybe in a year's time, we'll hear back from these uh, from these customers. Uh, and hopefully, you know, the the things that we're doing now, and maybe the things that Dan has helped that helped out and um, bring more information onto the um, the research paper. So all those things hopefully will help us. Um, but I think what we'll be looking at in maybe in a year, maybe a year and a half, when we have sufficient funding, so we'll actually build up a, a sales team. Not, a, we don't want we don't want a, the traditional sales um, sort of engine to go back, sell whatever they want to sell, take a commission. We don't want to do that. We want to um, talk to customers, uh, pinpoint problems, and then really say, um, you know, we could sort of help you solve these. Um, these, these, these pressing issues at a very low cost. Uh, and we'll maybe do a pilot or we'll, we'll, we'll follow that approach of you know, doing a free pilot, maybe even a free trial for them. And then if they really like it, then you know, they can take, take the product. We mm. talked there in terms about sales and bringing your product to new customers. Well, of course, an alternative kind of strategy would involve you providing more services to an existing customer. And obviously you have already <laughs> connections in Vodafone. And one thing that comes to mind a lot in terms of what your technology offers mm. is that we've been talking about FMS in a very much in a telecoms traditional environment. We've talked about subscriber data, CDRs, and the rest of it. But I, mm. I have seen some fabulous presentations from some individuals over the years. One that comes to mind is from the Vice President for Management and Revenue Show. It's at Telecom Italia, who talked at length about taking the systems and techniques that they used for you know, what we consider typical telecoms frauds, but then applying it to other things in their mm. business too, such as checking travel expense claims. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of potential in the technology that you're offering to actually apply this learning capacity to very different looking problems, such as, you know, managing personal expenses of employees or even things like, looking about where network expenditure is being spent on the network, how well is network capacity utilized around the network, and having an intelligent machine mm. point out the aberrations. Now, had, you, had there been any talk about that with your customers? Is that something that you thought about previously? Yeah, very much. Um, we've talked about using the same technology in churn predictions, so very much like you look at the associates of a fraudster. We look at a, we look at the associates of a disgruntled customer or a dissatisfied customer. An example in insurance is, let's say, um, you're insured for 
a thousand pounds maybe you want to increase your insurance um, to say five thousand pounds and and then let's say the insurance gets declined for example and you know you're an influential uh, you know, you're an influential person you know you uh, you your family your friends you know you're all sort of um, you know having a policy from a from the same company and like what is it what is it so we could predict that you know if you move there's a greater chance that you know your family your friends will also move to a different uh, different provider so we could actually take the same technology to you know insurance banks um, you know for, for predicting churn uh, mostly uh, i think that those are the pressing issues isn't it you know why would customer leave when you know they're enjoying um, the, the the services they only leave when they actually have an issue uh, you really actually look for um, uh, an alternative when when you're sort of completely dissatisfied dissatisfied with an existing provider and this is very true in insurance and in telecoms and in banks because it's so easy to move from one to another um, through all this portability uh, feature so you could keep the same number or you could maybe even keep the same bank account i don't know uh, i think it's certainly true in india you could actually from one insurance provider, you can move to another insurance provider without losing all your previous benefits. Mm. Uh, so the portability is there. So, um, so, the, the, so, so it could be used. And we're moving away from um, an event actually happening and then detecting to how do we actually stop in the first place. So that's where the, the Atreus product comes into uh, to picture. We haven't talked about it at all. But so that's like when someone fills an application, be it for a credit card or for a bank account or for an insurance, um, uh, 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 an, an insurance quotation, or whatever, or, or even a, a new mobile phone. Uh, so you you have to actually make an application. So that's where we're taking our sort of sort of the all uh, you know the, the new new learnings and uh, we'll be looking at machine learning and stuff like, stuff like that in the future. But fundamentally, what we're taking is how do we actually stop fraud rather than actually letting someone through and then sort of detecting later on. So that's, that's where we're spending most of our times now. And, and one of the things that um, you know, we talked about in, uh, with Dan earlier was um, like in future, you know, it's, it's going to be very different uh, when the IP backbone kicks in, uh, all the traditional switching will, will, be, go will be gone, and then all the, uh, the rules-based system will struggle um, um, because it would be very difficult to um, in, uh, identify uh, a, a sort of a person. It would be very difficult to identify a location from where a, a call has originated. And, and there's a lot, lot, lot of complexities around that. And I think the best thing and, and, and the thing that, that we're working on is, like, so if, you, if you're going for a service, you know, one thing is you know, you, you're filling an application. The second thing is we can actually use your voice as a fingerprint. And you know, for any new subscription that you want, let's say you've gone and taken a, a mobile phone and you've been thrown out because you haven't paid your bills, but the same, um, uh, you want to actually get a, a broadband connection from the same company, uh, which is, let's say, completely isolated, but we could actually build a fraud system where we could capture the voice and for activating your broadband, you'll have to actually call a number and activate it and it'll actually say, oh, this voice matches up with this guy that we kicked out uh, from our network for unpaid invoices, so we shouldn't actually be connecting um, the broadband as well. So, Unfortunately, Shanky, you're blowing my mind, though, <laughs> now, because I'm trying to get my head around how you've got, like, this learning 
system for the FMS, which is so much better than everybody else's. And then you start listing this other <laughs> product, and then you start listing this other product, and then you're starting to understand which, you know, determine who people are by their voices. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. well, we don't have enough time on this podcast <laughs> to cover all this revolutionary technology. So I think we're going to have to bring you back for a future one, Shankar. It's been, it's yep. been an absolute fantastic pleasure uh, to have you on the podcast. And uh, I think we've learned a lot today. And as I say, I think we're going to have to bring you back in future, Shankar. Pleasure is all mine. You know, thank, thanks for organizing this. Thanks, Dan. Uh, this is a great opportunity for us to just showcase and at least tell people that you know we are here, we're doing some great stuff, and it's worth trying our trying our products. Well, Dan, I enjoy listening to all our guests, but I have to say that I was very impressed by Shankar and the way he presented himself and his business. They're doing clever, innovative work. They're also an underdog in the market, and I find that I like to root for the underdog because you want good ideas to be implemented more widely. Yeah, I agree, Eric. And, uh, you know, you say the word underdog, but I mean, I guess that's a relative term, isn't it? I mean, in a way, just about every vendor in the fraud management marketplace today is an underdog because uh, maybe with the exception of the large credit bureaus, of course. But after all, the market size of even the largest FMS company is only about $25 million in terms of their market share. And and I think having a bunch of small firms such as FRS Labs and and the others competing for the business is very healthy. It leads to greater innovation. Uh, you know, and as soon as the multi-million dollar players invest in the marketplace, that's usually a sign that customers are somewhat locked into their current yeah. suppliers and uh, the innovation is kind of slows down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, FRS Labs and three dozen other FMS firms are discussed in the new fraud management report that I recently authored. And the title of the report is telecom fraud management services, software, and strategies. And I think, uh, you know, I think the people listening to this podcast are going to be interested in this research. There's an executive summary available that's free that can be downloaded. All they have to do is simply Google the words telecom fraud management solutions. So that's all I have to say. Well, Dan, thank you for that. I have to say, having seen the report, of course, uh, I find it very authoritative. And it's great also that smaller businesses like FRS Labs are included too, and we get to hear about some of the new and different things that they're doing too. The more that telcos know about what's available on the market, the better choices they'll make in terms of making the right purchasing decisions for their needs. You've been listening to episode 23 of the Comms Risk podcast. This podcast and the full archive of all our podcasts is available for download from commsrisk.com or search for us on the iTunes store where you'll be able to subscribe and this ensure future episodes are downloaded to your device automatically as soon as they come out. Remember also to visit commsrisk.com on a daily basis and stay aware of news and views concerning the whole universe of communications risk. Or sign up for our email newsletter and have a weekly roundup of the news delivered to your inbox. That's it for this show. I'm Eric Priestcounts and my co-host is Dan Baker. We both thank you for listening. 